Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 546 on Tuesday, the 10th of October, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be seeing how one story from last week's show changed before we even published. In new new car news, we try to fathom the thinking going on in one company. And in points of interest, we give you options for a holiday. But first, we do actually have some follow-up again. And... In a move from China that should surprise absolutely nobody at all, they have reacted to the subsidy investigation that has been moving apace by the EU, and they have complained about the very short time that they have been given to handle any evidence or uh, lines of inquiry. And they have uh, also said that it doesn't conform to the World Trade Organization rules. And they are, and quoting here from a Reuters article, which is quoting China, very much dissatisfied, <laughs> which diplomatic speech for really very dischuffed indeedy. <laughs> there is, there are some quite, there are some quite dischuffed, diplomatic, I'm almost had enough with you type language here is particularly uh from china towards towards the u according to this reuters article yeah. uh, the favorite one is china also urged the eu to safeguard the stability of the global supply chain and a strategic partnership between the two while prudently applying trade remedies in other words annoy us and all of a sudden it's going to be kind of hard to get hold of some batteries and cars and shipping containers and everything else, because they're also looking into steel as well. I know that's not it's sort of car related, but they're looking into China's production of steel and how that works on subsidies. Yes. Oh boy, we're in for a frosty time, I feel. Yes, a little bit on the rocky side. So there is a link in the show notes to the Reuters article where you can uh, keep up to date with the latest geopolitical news in the car industry. Just to cheer you up. Next story, and again, more follow-up uh, from last week. Uh, last week, we talked about the bidding war that was essentially going on for the Pendragon dealership group. In the time since then, American Auto Nation car dealer group, which is headed up by a chap called Mike Manley, which I hadn't realized, and it was Andrew, you, you remembered, was CEO of, of FCA for a while when Sergio Marchioni was was ill. He was He was also... CEO of FCA in North America uh, before mm. that. Uh, so he's now chief executive of AutoNation. They're looking to up their bids. At the same time, the Hedden Mobility and Penske Automotive Group have dropped their bids uh, completely. It was mentioned last week they've decided they probably wouldn't. Uh, if you remember, I mentioned that they already have quite a significant stake in the, in the Stratstone Group would get messy if they acquired part or most of yet another big British dealer group. That means that it's down to AutoNation and uh, the group Lithia, who are already the preferred buyer. Yeah, they were the one that was sought out by Pendragon. Mm. Uh, AutoNation and Hedden Consortium separately came in to put some money on the table. The thought is that... AutoNation has a significant cash reserve that they could put in a bid of such a size that would mean the Pendragon board would drop the Lithia bid unless it was improved and say, no, you need to go with AutoNation. Basically have to go with the one that values the group at £500 million. Yes. As you do. 
Anyway. Start of the month, Alan. Well, it feels like it's almost halfway through the month. Yeah, we just missed them last week. The new car registration figures are out for September. And there's lots of words being used around it. Lots of people saying, oh, it's a bumper month. My cause. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's better than the last two years. But again, not exactly a very high threshold to cross. Uh, but it's still the lowest September with 272,610 cars registered since... Well, the graph that the SMMT puts out goes back to 2007. And ignoring the last two years, there's nowhere that's sort of nearly that Not even low close. By about Not even close. 50, 60,000 cars. It was awful. It was, it was not... For what we are supposed to believe is now normal years. It was very poor. I'm not going to go as far as awful. Awful was the last two years. It was very poor. Okay. We'll move on to awful later. <laughs> it's still being touted as 21% rise in the market for the 14th consecutive month of growth. Yeah, okay. I don't feel there's a lot to say here. I think that the important thing to note, really, there's an increase in electric vehicles in market share. There's an increase in fleet in market share fleet market was up 40% over the same month last year, and now takes 52% of the market over the month. But there's not a lot of rise in private, 5.8% overall. The challenge really is that EVs, and yes, lots of talk about EVs, private battery electric vehicle registrations fell 14.3% less than 10% of new car buyers, private new car buyers, choosing EVs. And this was a figure we wanted to see. We talked about this last month mm. because August is a little bit of an outlier because it's a holiday month and all the rest of it. And, and the month before a new registration month. Yes. And I think our fears are perhaps being borne out mm. that cost of living mm -hmm. is beginning to impact when it comes to private sales. Mm -hmm. And electric vehicles generally much more expensive than their internal combustion or their hybrid counterparts. Yes. On that point, though, before we go any further, there was a lot of people saying, oh, well, because the government binned the 2030 date, then that ruined the private sales of battery electric vehicles in September. But this all happened before that. Which is absolute tosh. Because the announcement was made in the middle of September. Yeah. And these are cars that have been bought or ordered oh, months ago. yonks ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there is a line here which says, such a decline underlines the importance of providing these motorists with purchase incentives and other mechanisms to stimulate demand. Yeah. We're going to hear more and more of that. Yes. Let's move happily, hopping, skipping, and jumping on to the best registers of the month. Uh, and the top 10. Number 10, the MGHS with 4,030 registrations. Number 9, the Nissan Duke. Number 8, the Volkswagen Polo. Number 7, the Vauxhall Corsa. Number 6, the Hyundai Tucson. And number 5, the MGZS with 4,630. Not a big difference, really, between those first six. And that continues, because uh, the Ford Cougar is only at 4,638 in fourth place. The Kia Sportage, uh, there is a jump here to third, 
with 5,739. Uh, number two, the Ford Puma, 8,087 registrations. And number one, the Nissan Qashqai with 8,565 registrations. Interesting to point, we sit here and wave our Union Jacks in a rather non-Brexity kind of way, uh, that there are two British-built cars in there, uh, obviously the Qashqai and the Duke. Yeah, um, adding up to quite a significant, a significant portion of the the top ten's worth of registrations. Twice as many, almost twice as many cash guy registered as Dukes. Mm. Do you want to do year to date? Not hugely. It goes Fiesta Mini, Mocha, Duke, Tucson, Sportage, Model Y, Corsa, Cash Guy, and Puma. Mm. Puma holding ahead head by about four thousand dish registrations. Yeah. Uh, spreadsheet of Doom it is then, and I will do the Doomies. And I will start with Alfa Romeo down 34%, Bentley down 20%, Dacia down 16%, DS down 55%, Genesis down 20%, and then I have to scroll a long way to find Tesla down 36%. Right, go on then, with your little run of only one or two of the positives. <laughs> The increase actually quite widely spread across all the brands. Because last year was, was horrific. Yes, last year was horrific. This, this year it's all quite, it's spread. I mean, you've just heard by that how few are down by more than 15%. Let's start at the top, try and be quick. A bath, 190%, uh, 191 actually, if we do the rounding correctly. Um, and that wins the MG award for the greatest increase, but not by much, to be honest. No. There's lots of competition for that this month. Alpine, 54%. Audi up 47%. Cooper up 49.23%. Interesting that Cooper, when combined with uh, Seat, which of course is not going to be a brand for very much longer, uh, Cooper and Seat combined come in at about the same level as Peugeot uh, as far as market share, um, significantly ahead of Land Rover and many others. Just combining those two actually makes it slightly less than Skoda. It's around the Peugeot-Skoda area whenever you, you add the two together. It's kind of funny because you never, I mean, maybe I've, I've not been in the UK for a little while, but you, you don't really notice Seat's, in my opinion. Fiat up 57%, Jaguar up 25 Jeep up 84 Land Rover up 28 Lexus up 117 Mercedes-Benz up 44 MG up 44 Peugeot up 55, Polestar up 44, Porsche up 49, Renault 81, Seat 177.35, Skoda 37, Subaru 137, yay! Uh, Suzuki 121, Vauxhall 40, Volkswagen 17, Volvo 77, other British and other imports both up by significant margins. It's a long time since we've seen Tesla drop over a month, isn't it? Year on year. Must have been a fairly big boat that came in last year. So, oh, just quickly, Tristan Young of Broker News and his uh, split by fuel you put in, his, in its car. Worth mentioning that almost 70% of vehicles take petrol. Uh, 17% are battery electric vehicles, 165 Under 8% are diesel. And plug-in hybrids uh, account for only only seven percent. Mm. 
Links in the show notes as ever to SMMT and also to that Tristan tweet showing you the figures. Mm-hmm. I am now going to take us on to last week's announcement from the government about the plan for drivers. This was announced because the, the poor motorist has been picked on and subjected to much harsh treatment in years gone by. Yes. Can I give a quick, just to, to, to set the tone for what's about to come, everyone, and hopefully it will come briefly. I noticed when this was announced, and I looked at the social medias, I noticed the number of car people who went, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The car people across the whole gamut of everyone going, you what? Huh? Really? Both from just people who like cars all the way up to journalists who you would expect to be going, this is wonderful, and going, really? There's a 30-point plan to enable smoother journeys, uh, stopping unfair enforcement, making it easier for parking, deal with inconsiderate driving, and transition to zero-emission driving. Mm. Now, a lot of the points that are, or, or these action points, involve words that say consultation, investigation, hoping for technology that doesn't actually exist. But there are one or two things that make a bit of sense. There's so much totally and utterly bat poo. Yes, uh, but you do have to dig deep to find the... (laughs) To find the sensible ones. Yes, and that's really where it gets to on-street charging for Mm. your EVs, because that is an issue. But this talks about some measures to try and accelerate installing charges, particularly for on-street. So some of that stuff is good. They also talk about getting out and myth-busting concerns about EVs, mm-hmm. which will be interesting. Listening have they to, tried telling their sponsors? Or have they tried telling themselves right. as well? <laughs> but there is an awful lot of this that you question. Well, I mean, one of the things they fixated on doesn't actually exist in this country anyway, but I'm not going to mention it in any detail because we'll be here for ages. Yes, because I'll go into a rant about planning. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of this is questionable how it it comes across as things we're going to think about doing is really what it boils down to rather than actual action and like alan said at the beginning a lot of it you look at as well and go do we need that or will that not just make it harder to do things but on the other hand, it sounds really good as you go into your uh, party conference uh, and when there's there's nothing else to, to announce and when your overall po- popularity within the country is at an all-time low. So jolly good, everyone. Yes. Right. Enough of that. Talking of things that possibly sounded good at the time. I know. Advertising Standards Agency. Quite often we sit here and go, really? They've ruled that about that? But on this case, I, I kind of can understand what, the, what they're on about. I'm surprised it's only three complaints. Well, yes, me too. But the Advertising Standards Agency has ordered Jaguar Land Rover to stop making speed and acceleration the main message of its ads. <laughs> uh, I'm reading this, this one here from AM Online. It says, in May, the carmaker stated in a tweet, fashionably late is out of fashion. Because not to 60 miles an hour in 3.7 seconds can look like this. Hashtag Range Rover Sport SV. Alongside an image of an individual wearing sunglasses in a barren landscape, standing in front of a blurred image of the rear of a car that had made a dust trail. They got the obligatory white polo neck on, though. 
They have, yes, yes, and sort of slightly sort of droopy, I'm, I'm melting type arms and stuff. Three complaints were lodged, challenging whether the ad was irresponsible because it focused on the vehicle's speed and acceleration. It's kind of hard to say that it doesn't. They tried, though. <laughs> they, they tried. Is defense, Jay Landro said the ad's primary focus was the style of the brand rather than the speed of the vehicle. Uh, and he said that, you know, really, it was about the fashion. It was about the fashion. You specifically mention how fast it gets to 60 mile an hour. I know. There's a, there's a day. It's not just it's fast. It's it's this specifically fast, and this is a very small number. Yes, in its defense, Jaguar Land Rover said because the entire black ground was blurred, it didn't imply the vehicle was fair. It's, it's, it's a load of rubbish. It's sorry. And they're going, oh, one. well, it was only doing 20 mile an hour when we took the photograph. There's no way to know that, and you specifically mention getting to 60 mile an hour really quickly. I, I, I cannot... I cannot stake that in. I think Jaguar Land Rover need new lawyers. I think they do. Now, the thing is, I, I thought that the you might back off a cliff one about the reversing cameras and stuff. I thought it was very silly that the, 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 there was a complaint and that the complaint was upheld, upheld mm. because it was flipping obvious. This one, I can see where people are going. On the other hand, we're all talking about it, and I've just quoted the 0 to 60 speed for a Range Rover for a Range Rover Sport, which I wouldn't have done otherwise. You could say that that's good advertising. Mm. You could also say it was a rather silly waste of money just to get some nerd on a podcast to read that out loud. But, <laughs> but you know, come on, guys. It just, you seem to be, I don't know if maybe it's a GLR ones get pulled up more often, if they're just more visible to us. Every time they do that, maybe Mercedes and BMW are doing the same thing. Or maybe they're not. Mm. Probably not. No. Anyway, shall we move on to probably the strangest story of the week, Andrew? Yes, this was all over the news about the chap who was quoted saying he was kidnapped by his runaway electric car. This was all to do with um, his brand new MG ZS EV as he was coming home from work on Sunday night and the vehicle somehow became stuck at 30 mile an hour and there was nothing he could do to get it to slow down. He had tried applying the brakes, that did not happen. He tried switching it off while it was driving, that did not happen. Uh, in the end, the police had to slowly concertina him and use their own vehicle to slow down the MG and once it was stopped and the police were holding on the brake of the van that was in front of it, they managed to do something internally to switch the uh, engine off and then they waited for AA to arrive, who then stated, or their technician stated that a load of things came up on the diagnosis and they weren't prepared to switch on the vehicle again, just in case they had no way to uh, switch it off again. The problem with this is we will, we do not know, and I doubt we'll ever find out, what actually went wrong in the vehicle that caused it to sit at 30 mile an hour. Fortunately, it was sitting at 30 mile an hour and not, say, 60. Yes. So there is that, you know, that, that was a slight help to the whole situation. But the way that it has been reported does make it very tricky to try and unpick and understand what happened as well because there's some incredibly sensationalist language and the way the gentleman himself communicates it. In understandably a very scary situation, if you don't think your car can stop and you end up 
phoning the police and saying, please, can you do something to stop my car? I can't get it to stop and I'm in it. Then you will be at a heightened state and perhaps the language you use would not be that that you would normally use. But also the way that people reacted to this story online was very poor from a lot of, well, I mean, it's the experts in everything who knew exactly what the problem was and it was all down to the driver. Yeah. There's a couple of things really that, 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 that come out of this. One is, is I, I guess it's, it's important. I don't really understand why I should have to say this, but it's really, it's important to make sure that people maybe if they get their first EV or, or a new car, that there is a good quality handover to the new owner and the new owner should not just be allowed to go, yeah, 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 I know it. I, I know how to drive a car. Don't be so silly or, or mm. something like that. Especially with the advanced tech that is not specific to EV. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's a general statement, I think, across, mm-hmm. uh, uh, across all, all new cars. The other one is whenever you're trying to communicate this, the headline, I was kidnapped by a runaway electric car. Uh, a couple of quality compo faces throughout it. That doesn't help the seriousness. This is, this is not someone, my bins haven't been collected for three weeks type of story, which is mm. where that face normally comes in. This is actually really very serious. Now, I, I don't know that it's been, you know, with, with significant, impl- impl- this should have significant implications across across the industry to just find out what happened and make sure it, it, it's very hard for it to happen again, that it shouldn't happen again. And communicate what went on exactly. very clearly and very publicly and often so that yes. everybody gets told this, because this is one of those stories that will will struggle to find out what happened because it just gets buried and no one bothers to report what happened. And, and it'll appear in the daily record and people will be, will be there and go, well, look at our electric cars and run away. This guy was kidnapped mm. by his electric car. It, it's not helpful on no. any level. It's important that from an engineering point of view, uh, it's made so it doesn't happen again. And from a communications point of view, that what did happen um, is, is communicated uh, clearly uh, and publicly. Yeah, totally agree. Anyway, shall I get down off my soapbox for a minute? Mm. Why don't you take us to Volvo while you do? Yes, a couple of people moved around at Volvo here in the UK. Then the commercial operations director is going to become the business's next managing director. So Nicole Melillo-Shaw is going to replace Christian Elverfors, who is uh, going to be leaving Volvo Car UK after four years leading the company. He's going to pursue a new opportunity outside of Volvo cars and the automotive industry. Previously, he led the brand's Swedish operation. So he'd been with Volvo for quite some time. So this is going to be a, an interesting change. There'll be a quite a long transition period between now uh, and the end of the the end of the year, with uh, Melillo Shaw taking proper control really uh, in November. Yeah, it's great to see yet another woman at the top job in the UK. Yes, fantastic stuff. I will take us to BMW because there's been some shuffling there too. Brace yourselves for the pronunciations, folks. <laughs> He's just talking to me there. Yes. You just put your fingers in your ears. Yes. Uh, group CEO Oliver Zipsy is being given a contract extension because they obviously think he's done such a fab and wizzo job for BMW brand. But this also means that uh, there will be some changes underneath as well because people are leaving the company or just being shuffled around. 
head of uh, product management will take on brand management from the 1st of November. So Bernd Korber will take this on because uh, Jens Thema is leaving the company. Uh, he's now going to quote here. I, I love these from these car companies. Devote himself to new tasks. Uh, end quote. So nobody knows where he's going, and nor does he, I think, yet. Again, from the 1st of November, uh, Marcus Flash will be now the head of the motorcycle subdivision. That's BMW Motorrad. He is going to succeed Marcus Schramm, who is retiring. At the moment, he, Flash is uh, the product line manager who is responsible for the development and conception of all BMW brand vehicles in the medium and luxury classes. What's, what's the medium class? Five series. Oh, okay. X5. Oh, okay, right. I got you. And he, he also was the product line manager for Rolls-Royce brand. Speaking of which. <laughs> yes. Torsten Muller-Ottvoss is going to retire from Rolls-Royce and is going to be replaced by Christopher Brownridge. And we need to remember that Muller Otfoss has actually brought in an amazing change and development of Rolls Royce because they've did their first electric. They brought in the SUV. The Spectre Coupe is the electric one. Obviously, they've expanded the brand's attractiveness to a much younger audience as well. Yeah, the Black Series and stuff. Yeah, Black Series. So done a cracking job there, which would not been easy to change the perception of that brand. Mm-hmm. Lots of senior managers shuffling around and people possibly going off and enjoying some peace and quiet. Yes. Well, good luck to them all. Yeah. There will be a link in the show notes. There'll be two links. One is describing or explaining better than I did all the changes in BMW, but there will also be an autocar uh, article that's written by Steve Cropley talking about Torsten Muller Otfoss's 14 years in charge, mm-hmm. what he's managed for the company. That is really worth a, a read to just to see what he has actually achieved on the quiet. Yeah, yeah, without lots of, without lots of, of pomp and circumstance, which is, mm. there's a slight, slight irony to that when it comes to it being Rolls Royce. Yes. Uh, next up, experts probe the role of annoying ADAS technology. And this one is the story of the week where I have to hold Andrew back from the ledge of anger. I'm hoping it's already sort of dissolved a bit. Advanced driver assistance systems are now standard across new vehicles at varying levels. Those systems include blind spot, lane departure, warning alert, Shibaki system, cruise control, and others. People such as the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration in the US uh, says that these systems combined have the potential to prevent 62% of traffic deaths per year. You'll remember from last week's discussion, the way the traffic deaths are here in the US are very different from in the UK, uh, not least in the fact that there are many more of them. Yeah, but zero proof of that that stat that was what we were talking about also last week it's a potential to could could potential to may which is be very careful when you are reading stats and figures that are thrown at you to see the wording around them all of a sudden people from euro ncap and others have said as much as it's a challenge to insist that manufacturers fit the latest te- technologies, the real challenge lies in convincing customers of their necessity. There's a worrying trend in media and social channels encouraging drivers to turn them off. I would like to point out that, that, that very often uh, motoring journalists do not help with this. They say, oh, it doesn't matter what car I'm in, the first thing I do is just turn off all these systems. I'm far too good a driver for all these things. Which is interesting because it means that they never get to experience them. And I, I think that one of the challenges is that it's only now 
that some of the testing companies are saying, well, we didn't, or, well, yes, we, we didn't necessarily tested them on the road. No, they haven't. They've tested them on the test track, in which case they do a great job. Because you'll never guess what. If you give engineers a problem to solve, the engineers will solve that problem. They will meet the requirements. And the thing about requirements is that if you're someone who's charged and tasked with meeting requirements, then what you do is you meet the requirements and you don't go any further. Because by meeting the requirements, you've done your job. You've done what you've been asked to do. So it comes as a surprise for the good people at Euro NCAP and at Thatcham that sometimes they see that manufacturers have, and this is in air quotes, uh, gamed the system, which is not necessarily what they've done, is they have said, we are going to meet the requirements as set out in this requirements document. Mm. Doesn't matter if it's any ruddy good or not, it has met the requirements. Now, some of you will remember my drive of the UK market Honda HRV, which was a lovely, lovely car, but which I have never sworn as much when I've been driving as I did at that car for just its awful attempts to drag me towards the oncoming traffic by insisting that I stay in the middle of my lane and, and that kind of thing. It just, you know, it's as if these people haven't learned anything from Dieselgate. Yeah, it's not like there isn't in recent history an example of a company gaming a test system for legislation purposes. Just ridiculous. The vehicle ex technology expert from Thatcher Research is quoted by Autocar. Uh, they explained what, it, what they hope to learn. It's like we're trying to understand how drivers use ADAS and how good is the human-machine interface that they engage with. Why is this not a core part of the test? Why is it you going out there, you're going, oh, well, it's Euro NCAP 5 because it's got all these systems. I mean, system, but it, it's all very good having the systems if the systems are not fit for task in the real world. You might have met the requirements, but you can't ready use it. The systems started to be mass adopted in 2010. We're in 2023. And this is them finally saying, oh, we, we need to find out what's going on. It says here, I mean, the same, the same chat from Thatcham says, we've done a good job of getting ADAS fitted to vehicles, making it as effective as possible, but the other half of the equation is the person behind the wheel. We need to start exploring this, especially since we're hearing reports that people aren't using the systems, perhaps because they don't understand their benefits. They give false alarms. Duh or they're annoying in some way. So far, the indications from the MIT research that getting a system's HMI right is really important to it being accepted and used by drivers. Clearly, if it's not being accepted and used, then the HMI, the human-machine interface, by the way, is not good enough, and, and that is the issue. Notionally, mo these systems are a good idea. Most of them work. Some of them are just complete and utter dog poop, and that makes it worse for all the, the rest. I am struggling to understand why the Massachusetts Institute of Technology investigation into this is so critical when the UK roads are massively different from US roads. They are. The infrastructure is, is huge. This is the same with anything. Anytime anybody gives loads of US research on roads, driving, habits, conditions, in the UK, in Europe, take it not just with a pinch of salt, but with a massive scoop of salt. Because one of the issues over here actually, when it comes to safety, is the infrastructure. The infrastructure is a problem. The design of junctions is a problem. The problem I have, people will be surprised to know I've got a problem with this. The problem I have with the language that's being used here is that Euro NCAP, who are the company that have demanded and got legislated in mm. the driver assistance technology, mm -hmm. they are saying 
that the technology is great and it is down to the drivers. Either they believe that and they have not stopped or no one in those organizations has stopped and said, we're saying that this stuff is great, yet the evidence that we are using to say people are at fault would perhaps also indicate that the technology is absolute garbage and people are switching it off because it's awful on the roads. Or they know that it is garbage and they are chucking, like so much of the car industry at the minute, which is making me increasingly angry with the car industry. We hadn't noticed. Is chucking the driver under the bus. Literally. Metaphorically. (laughs) Because the automatic emergency braking will save us. Metaphorically and putting all the onus on us. People are switching it off when they get in because it is not suitable for the roads that we have or it is not suitably calibrated to work well. And they need to stop blaming drivers for something they have demanded in that doesn't work. <sighs> Should we move on to a happy case now from the European Court of Justice? It is actually positive. It is, it is a positive, positive case. This is the news that independent car repairers have won a victory at the European Court of Justice because car makers were trying to restrict them from accessing uh, onboard diagnostic systems. That has been ruled that the car makers cannot restrict that access. So it means that uh, OBD systems can be accessed now, and that is not unlawful. There's pros and cons to this one. It's good because right to repair uh, and the ability for people outside of the dealer chain uh, to be able to repair things is good for the ongoing life of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. The challenge is that OBD ports are, are a way into the brain of the car and can be misused. Yes. Well, what, what do we say? We say to the manufacturers, make sure your systems are safer. Yes, exactly that. That's the outcome. But m- making OBD ports impossible for anyone else to access is the lazy way, uh, actually, of, of doing that. Yeah. In the run-up to Guilt Minute, one quick story. Uh, Aston Martin has received £9 million of government funding for electric cars. And this is to go to the Advanced Propulsion Centre to boost development of all new battery electric platforms. That's good. By the way, Aston working with American EV maker Lucid on the platform, just as a quick quick reminder of that. That's an interesting and, and I think probably a very good synergy between the two of them. Mm. What I will say is Aston Martin good british generally company good but i do wonder about the overall good and impact on the general goodness of the world by nine million pounds towards a luxury car manufacturer for something that they should probably already be able to fund themselves anyhow i don't know i i just i just it just sits uncomfortably with me is that allocation of the limited funds that UK PLC has in the right area? Or would it be better off back at like story three this week? Would it be better spent in in chunks of two thousand or three thousand pounds to help encourage more people to get in, into small battery electric vehicles? More private buyers get into small battery electric vehicles and making lots of little difference every day. Mm. that's my thing with this i mean it's, it's great it's lovely yeah 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 it's a sports car it's a 
it's a battery electric SUV. I, I like Aston Martin stuff. It's it's nice. I like them as a company. I want them to do well, but I just don't really want my tax money going that way. Yes. Your tax it, money it, going that way? It it becomes trickier than say this is going to the Nissan plant and will save thousands of jobs as well as ensure that vehicles that most consumers appear to want mm-hmm. and can afford is produced. Uh, whereas I find it harder to believe that that's going to happen when it comes to Aston. They've had an awful lot of government money. Mm. Not a lot to show for it, really. They're not the only company that's done it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying, I'm just highlighting but, that. As as I mean, it could be worse. It could, it could be thing. TVR. It could be any of this. <laughs> lot where it just disappears down the drain. So please, um, I, I'm not Wales. trying to pick on, on Aston. Yes, ex- exactly. It's, it's, there are far, far more egregious uses of government money. It's just that given some of the other recent announcements, it just, just seems sits a little bit out of place. Anyway, mm. it's government. So the left arm and the right arm don't have a clue what the other one's doing. Anyway, that leads us into Guilt Minute. Quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on, the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released. And by liking and rating the show, whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Mm-hmm. New new car news, Andrew. Yes, I shall start off with yet more Skoda news this time, because they seem to be revamping the entire range. Um, but this time it's the Kodiak. So this is this is the huge, well, even huger SUV, um, which is going to, as this autocar article headlines, gain more space and FEV power. So it's got significant exterior and interior upgrades, and it's into its second generation. It's on the same platform as the Tiguan, and I presume the Q8. No, it's not as big as the Q8. I don't. I don't really know. Anyway, it's it's on the 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 VW MQB Evo platform, but they're they're putting the features in there according to Skoda boss Klaus Zelmer that uh, customers would appreciate and they're taking it to the next level so there's gonna be more space more features more efficiency i i like as you I, would expect i like the point now if you keep on reading you find out that it's driven by knobs oh no 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 sorry sorry it, it has options can be chosen using knobs is it like those the the dial in the, that you can program and it'll you do turn the it and then you, you can it press to it to do the other thing yeah yeah and then you can do t- it it's, it's supposedly it's a lot like a glr system but it means that basically you've got temperature and then you press it and then it can turn on your electric, your heated seats. I need to use that because I'm not it convinced by it sensible. being described to me, but maybe that's just lost in translation. I think probably it makes a lot of sense, actually. I, I can't. I, I, yeah, I, I quite like the idea. Mm-hmm. But yes, 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 it, it has knobs. It's crazy when we're making out that is a big deal, isn't it? There will be, um looking for the prices, yes, they have not been announced, obviously. That's why I couldn't find them. We won't know those till closer to mid-2024 when this is going to be launched, but currently, what's expected is they will be slightly higher than now. So currently, it starts at 34760 goes up to 49335 before you've added all your options you want. Expect them to be a few thousand more by the sounds of it 
mm-hmm. and a mix of uh, mild hybrid, plug-in hybrid, uh, petrol, and a diesel. Nothing surprising, really. No, it's what you would. It's exactly what you would expect. But talking of unexpected, though, Alan. Well, yes, General Motors, who pulled out of Europe uh, pretty comprehensively a while ago, mm. uh, a few years ago, they are beginning their European return. Uh, and they're beginning their European return in Switzerland with the Cadillac Lyric. Those of you who don't know, the Cadillac Lyric is a uh, jacked-up estate car coupe thing, which is, I think, very handsome. The ones I've seen on the, the road are, are, are very handsome. And it's it's an EV. Did I mention electric in there? But it's, it's a good-looking thing, and they are launching it in Switzerland. They actually established their new European arm in 2021, and it's headquartered in Zurich, in Switzerland. And they've been they've been looking at returning with an all-electric vehicle lineup. Well, I think if you were coming back now, it would be utterly pointless if you did not have electric really front and centre, wouldn't it? You would think so, yes. So it's a wonder that General Motors is putting electric front and centre, to be perfectly honest. Because you know what GM are like. They do a fantastic thing, and they completely miss the mark. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it plans to expand into five further countries. It's going to expand from Switzerland into Sweden and France in the next two years, uh, probably Germany as well. And I uh, can't think where else. Where else would you go? Somewhere in Northern Europe, probably Holland. They like their American stuff. Uh, no word yet on any plans for the UK because the UK steering wheel's on the other side and it would require entire re-engineering of the platform. So, of course, they're not going to do that. Uh, it says that the Lyric will be pitched as Mercedes-Benz and BMW rival, which is reasonable. And priced at 82,000 Swiss francs. That's around 73,700 pounds in Switzerland. It says that compares with a starting price of $58,000 or 52,200 pounds in the US. Let's bear in mind that the US price will be before taxes and before taxes, of which there will be many, registration and anything else and, uh, and sales tax or anything. Okay. So that's actually quite a good deal because you'll easily make 10 grand's worth of of rubbish added on here in the US. The SUV features a huge 102 kilowatt hour battery for a range of 330 miles, and its twin motor setup offers 521 brake horsepower. There we go. Uh, they're going to go for an paired back online only retail model similar to Tesla, Polestar, and to Genesis. I think Genesis is probably the closest uh, brand to this mm. uh, in terms of, terms of approach. It's, it's sort of like a GV70. Uh, electric whatever the electric version of that is is called that that's really the closest vehicle i guess possibly a gv80 price wise yeah i think they've given themselves the best chance to succeed mm-hmm. because if you're going to try and re-enter a market that you abandoned very recently really yeah i think electric cars is what we said We've we've said for a long time about some other brands who are succeeding with the, their electric cars and changing people's perception of what premium could be. Mm. This, because it's electric, they've got the opportunity to come in completely fresh and they don't have the hangover of, oh, I remember having this petrol car from you and it was garbage or I loved it or whatever. It's been made much easier by the fact they sold the brands, to, the existing brands to someone else. Mm. And so they can come in with one that's got a good reputation from abroad and people go, ooh, we know that brand. We've yeah. heard of the brand. We know of the brand. Historically, it has a reputation for quality. I think if you're putting a nice spin on it, 
that there's a recognition there, which maybe someone like Genesis didn't have to start yeah. with. But yeah. Anyway, Audi, Andrew. Yeah, Audi has cancelled their plans to produce their flagship model in Hanover. This is actually, I think, quite a big story. Because I fear, reading through this article in Electrive, that there's a few issues. There's trouble at mill, as one would say, because this was expected to start in 2026 as part of the Artemis project, which was this flagship thing of how they're going to do fantastic luxury and premium EVs. But nothing's really come to fruition of this. Now, I don't know if they're being held back by Cariad or electric tech, or both, or neither, or whether this is part of the cost-cutting that the VW Group have had to go through, or that are going through now. Maybe they've just revised what the offering is going to be. Mm. There's lots of uncertainty. Basically, it, most of it seems to hinge around where are we going to build this thing. And not a when, though, but there's no when. Without anybody necessarily... not. Yeah, there's, there's no real when. There's a when has gone out there. Where are we going to build this thing, and, and what is this thing? It's kind of weird. Because Porsche pulled out of this project back in the end of 2021 as well. Yeah, it was so mad about character, some of the software quality that it didn't want to be Yeah, so I, I think that it's a mix of all those things, particularly mm. the, the funding issue that Volkswagen have got. <laughs> the whole, the house is on fire, et cetera, et cetera, speech. Yeah. <laughs> but also the woes of Cariad. Mm because they didn't understand and still don't understand. Yeah, and I think that they, they realise that they can't put out... They're having enough trouble with mid-sized vehicles, C&D segment vehicles with, with bad software and people complaining about it there, and when it comes to the top end of the market, people really aren't going to stomach it. No, they will, they will leave the brand and not come back. Anyway, which takes us to another Volkswagen story. Volkswagen is bowing out of the... or pulling out. I don't know if it's bowing. Uh, pulling out of the A segment, it is ending the production of the Volkswagen Up after 12 uh, years. That means that the Polo is the entry point to the Volkswagen lineup. Lots of flavours, lots of versions. Lots of people really positive about the Up. I've never driven one. Meaning, I keep lots of people say lots of good things. Do you know what? I kept trying to kept trying to book higher cars that were Volkswagen Up or or similar. And you got the or similar. And I got like. Ford, Ford Focus Estates and stuff, where the, the hire company thought it was doing me doing me a great deal because it was its last rental and I was to re- return it without fuel and all sorts of stuff like that. So I've never actually driven an up. Lovely though they are, I think they're, they're great looking little things and, and people are very they're very popular. But yeah, it's it's the demise of the A segment, the the cost of of Euro sevening stuff of trying to get big enough market to develop these smaller cars the fact that as soon as you put battery tech anywhere near it it doubles the prices yeah all of these kind of things is is a real shame it is although there are rumors that um the eu is softening oh uh, yes euro seven but we haven't reported on that yet because we are waiting for official this is what the the rules are going to be it's it's also too late you know the manufacturers yeah. are already stopping these now Mm. Yeah, yeah, no. There we go. Anyway, Andrew, very quickly, because we've gone long this week. Yep, the lunchtime read in points of interest is uh, from Top Gear, and it's a long read from them, or sorry, a big read uh, from them, and it's Estates of America. 
basically they needed an excuse to take an RS6 across the states. So they, they came together and decided that they would go up and meet with a bunch of people to have a look at West Coast estates or station wagons, sorry, because we're in America, uh, and how they have been loved and treasured across the years before the SUVs and the minivans came in and decimated that market. Not quite sure why it has to be in America, but, but there we go. Who am I to say? Although I'm sure some of you will be on this holiday. List of the week then, Alan. <laughs> List of the week segues uh, nicely into that, talking about holidays. So this is from Autocarts by Matthew McConnell, and it's the best modern and retro campervans and RVs ever made. She says, using the Top Gear voice, bought something from Autocar. Uh, there are many here. I actually think this is a really good, really interesting list. There's 29 slides in total. Andrew, what's your one? Oh, so, there, there is actually an awful lot. There's there are some that you would expect to be there. And then there are others that we in the UK and Europe would not have seen so much of, but are f all the more fabulous for that. Mm -hmm. But I've... Oh, it really could have been any from probably seven, but mm -hmm. I have plumped for the Earth Cruiser Unimog. Really, I tried not to plump for that one, much as I much as I like that. I managed to break the autocar sideshow as well. I, I don't know how. I yes, the Earth Cruiser Unimog is is very very cool. But there are there are so many there that I would not be unhappy if they went. Sorry, you can't have that one. It's one of these others. Okay. So I'm going to give you my choice. My choice is the GMC motorhome. It covers a load of different things, different reasons. One of which is that it's got three axles. I just love the windscreen. I just, I guess it's, it's just, you a wouldn't want to chip that. Oh my word. No, but it is, it's just a fan. The thing is that it was a factory built motorhome. You could go to your GMC dealer and buy one like that. And it came in colors, not just white or beige. You could get it in camel brown, burnt orange, bittersweet. You get bittersweet, it bright what green, a fantastic name. Pineapple yellow, like the one in the picture, or, and, and sky blue. Um, so you could actually get it and spec it in like, like a car and, and get it in different colors. And, and it, was, it was super cool. There is actually a channel called, oh, goodness me, was it Budget Builds with a Z on the end. And it's apologies to those of you listening with the earphones. And they bought one which hadn't moved for like thirty odd years, and they've got it running and, and and stuff. And they're now stripping out the interior and and trying to redo that. They've cleaned it all up and trying to modernise it as well a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's it's quite good. So do have a little bit of a look for that on uh, on on YouTube. These are very cool. Oldsmobile seven and a half liter V eight driving the front wheels. By the way, it's front wheel drive. Which is something that you don't really think about, but like lots of the, the Fiat Ducato and stuff based ones are all from your truck. No, there's many, many options there yeah. for whatever type of holiday you want to take as well. Yes, exactly. But I love some of the photographs as well. Some of the photographs. Well, that GMC motorhome does have a fantastic brochure pic to a There is the it. one of the older couple take where the gentleman is using his binoculars for the puddle that is at his feet. <laughs> There's, yes, it, it is. It's, it's a great list on so many levels. I, I actually really like that one, partly because it's not the stuff that we necessarily cover. But yes, it's, it's rather good. And finally, then. Yes. 
and finally, and we're giving you, well, if the lunchtime read doesn't satisfy you, I think this extra bonus as the and finally from Hubnut YouTube channel will satisfy a lot of needs when it comes to a lunch. I would rather own this many, many times over than an Audi RS6. <laughs> but this is the Talbot Matra Rancho test. And my word, I mean, the, the car is so clean. I mean, not just as in it's been polished up, but it's in such amazing condition. And it looks ace. And you, and you look at it now and you think, why haven't we got one of those on the road now? Mm -hmm. Something simple. There's nothing like that now. Considering we've got these SUVs much higher that are only two-wheel drive and don't pretend to go off-road. So the equivalent these days would be a cladded-up Bilingo, given the derivation mm. of the Matra Rancho. Yeah, yeah. If you imagine a safari-spec Bilingo, then that's what you're looking at uh, with mm. a winch and extra spotlights. Yeah. There's, I was just scrolling through here because I, I don't normally watch, watch YouTube from my computer, so I never really see the comments. Someone here is saying, I think every child of a certain age in the UK had a rancho toy at some point. I've no idea why. It just seemed to be the law. Only one I ever saw in person was, was one belonging to someone local. I remember seeing it and thinking, wow, they actually exist, which is, is so true uh, and so cool. I haven't watched this video yet. I was explaining to Andrew why I haven't watched it. It's that I have to ration out my videos on, on, for, that come out on Sundays and Mondays. I, and some of them I have to keep to a Tuesday night because nobody releases videos on a Tuesday. I have no idea why, but you get no decent automotive videos on a Tuesday. Sort it, content creators. You keep saying that, and then it'll end up having to be us doing something like that. I know. Well, it never used to be a problem because we always recorded on a Tuesday evening, so I never noticed. But now that we record Tuesday morning, I do notice. Well, whilst it's still morning, should we wrap up this week's show? Because I did prattle on a lot this week. We did. There was a lot of prattling. There's, there's going to be some heavy editing, I think. So there's no parish notes this week, which means that we get right to the ending, where I say, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motory Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of MotoryPodcast.com, hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you'll find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know more about your habits of how you watch YouTube, what's the best way for them to ask you personally? Uh, best way to ask me is via either Twitter or Blue Sky, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.